Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you that indeed your blood never fails. We thank you that you have redeemed us, purchased us back, redeemed sinful man back to holy God. And Lord, we just thank you for that infinite love and grace and mercy that's beyond our comprehension. Lord, as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Hope you feel welcome. If you don't have a Bible again, I know he announced it once before. Raise your hand, we'll get you one. All right? You need one. Amen? We're going to study the Bible here. Amen? All right. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Again, by the way of reminder, hey, I... I know I, I don't mention this real often, but we do have a need in the children's ministry, and I want to encourage you that it ought to be a get-to and not a have-to, amen? amen? It ought to be something we desire to do because we have a burden for our children, and you know what, that's the most fruitful part of the ministry, the young people coming to know Christ, impact, lives impacted for eternity. You've heard me tell you many times how I got saved in, my four, in the four- and five-year-old class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington, and Praise God for Mrs. Green, who taught the four- and five-year-old class for 30 years. God bless her, amen? amen. And so praise God. I thank God for her. Maybe some Miss Green, Mrs. Green's in the room this morning. And then on the, the men's retreat, there's 250 spots, but there's 12 Calvary chapels that will be coming. And so it's not based on how certain number per church, because often what happens is people get left out. So they've just made it first come, first serve. I want to encourage you guys to go. And even though it is local to us, I want to encourage you, that should be a blessing for us, not a reason for us to say we only want to go part of the time. So I want to encourage you to sign up for that. You'll be blessed. Wives, encourage your husbands to go. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. This morning we're going to continue to look at the more practical portion of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. As we've said, as we've been going through, the first half talked about our position in Christ, our riches in Christ, the fact that we've been blessed by God in so many ways. And the second half then begins to talk not just about the position in Christ, but the practical application of who we are in the Lord, how you and I are to respond to God's grace. We saw in chapter 4 that God has called us as Christians to walk in unity and to walk in humility. As Christians, we have nothing to be puffed up about. We should glorify and honor only Him. Amen? We also saw that we're to be in the world, but not of it. We're no longer to be like the world. We're new creations in Christ, and we should be different than the world that's around us. When we got to chapter 5, message titled, Imitating Our Father, we imitate our Father by walking in love, by walking in purity, and by walking in wisdom. And then last week, we talked about, or two weeks ago actually, because last week we had a Christmas message, but two weeks ago, we looked at bringing heaven home. God desires that we not just have a relationship with a faraway, distant God, but that it impact every aspect of our lives. We talked about bringing heaven home by walking with an eternal focus, having a sense of urgency and a burden for the lost. But one of the main things we talked about, and I just want to take a couple of minutes, and you can get the tape, uh, they're free to catch you up, but I want to talk just a minute about marriage, because we spent a lot of time on it. I'm not going to go into great detail, because we already have But for those of you who may not have been here, I believe this is one of the areas that is under the greatest attack by the enemy, is our marriages. The Word of God talks more about marriage than it does even the church. It is a picture of Christ 
and the church. And God does have a divine plan and a divine order in marriage. And you know what? It's important to understand that God created marriage and He defines it and nobody else does. Amen? No judge can define it. No vote can define it. God's Word defines it because God created it. And if if it's not ordained by God, it's not marriage. You can call it marriage if you want, but it's not marriage. Unless it's according to what God has called it. And again, it is an institution that should be cherished and never taken lightly. As Christians, we need to view it as a lifetime commitment. As Almighty God takes two and joins and makes them one. As opposed to the temporary legal agreement that is so easily broken by the world today. In God's divine order of marriage, God has called the man to be the spiritual leader. The world doesn't like to hear that. Wives submit to your husband. They think that that is oppressive. Can I tell you that the greatest thing in the world for the freedom of women has been Christianity. You look at any country where Christianity is not prevalent and look how women are treated. They walk around in black and covered up and all other religions take away freedom from women, but it's where Christianity reigns that women have the greatest freedom. Amen? Amen. That's a fact. It's not oppressive. It frees women. Now, here's the thing, though. In the church and in the home, God has called the man to lead. That does not make him superior. It does not make him better. And certainly, knowing some of you guys, it doesn't make you more intelligent. Amen? (laughs) But God has called you to lead. God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your home, to give direction for your home. So wives are to submit to their husbands, but husbands are to love their wives. And you know what? A man who loves his wife, a man who lays down his wife, life for his wife, is a man that is easily submitted to by his wife. Women don't send a struggle submitting to a man who loves them enough that he would die for them. And that's exactly what our Savior did for us. The last verse we saw there last time was that husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. And again, when I do marriage counseling, often the thing I hear is that wives want to be loved and husbands want to be respected. And you know what? It's easy again to respect a man who loves his wife and it's easy for a a, a man to love a wife who respects him. And so I want to encourage you that God's divine order is perfect. And God's divine order should bring blessing to a marriage, not struggles in it. And I want to say this to you single folks, lest you feel left out. When you look for the woman God has for you guys, she needs to be a woman you're willing to lay down your life for. Not just some hottie, right? Amen? A woman you're willing to lay down your life for. Because that's what you're called to do as a husband. And gals, when you're looking for a, godly, for a husband, look for a man, a godly man, you can respect and follow. Not just a man who has a good paycheck or a man who's good looking or whatever. You look for a man you can respect and follow. A man who loves God as much, if not more, than you do. You want to settle for anything less than that. So that brings us to chapter 6. And I titled the message this morning, God's Divine Order at Home and at Work. We're going to continue looking at that practical portion of We've seen how God's divine order works in marriage. Now we're going to look how it works in the rest of the home and also how, how it's to function in the workplace. This morning we'll look at the relationship between parents and their children and employers and their employees. Area where God again has divine order. 
and an order that is largely ignored, both in the world and sadly, even among many Christians. Now I'm going to be really focused on the youth group over here. They were at an all-night lock-in, so I'm going to be probably jumping up and down to keep them awake over here, all right? But this message is for all of us, but youth group, you guys need to listen up this morning. The first point is going to be children and their parents. Children are to obey and honor their parents. And parents are to train up their children in the Lord. And then employers and employees, we're going to see that employees are to work with diligence and sincerity as to the Lord. And employers are to treat their workers with sincerity and kindness and respect. So let's begin looking at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 1, looking at God's divine order at work and at home beginning first with children and their parents. Ephesians 6, verse 1. The first word says, children. Now, I want you to note something here. Paul's writing this letter to the church, and as he wrote this letter to the church, he addressed the children in the church, which means he knew that there would be children at church. Amen? Amen. Church is not just for mom and dad. Church is not just for the parents. Church is the place where we come as a family. And Paul knew that in that place, this place where he had pastored for more than three years, he didn't see church attendance as something that was an option for children. He both assumed and expected that children would be in church. Now, I was amazed as a youth pastor how many parents would come to me and tell me that my 13-year-old's not going to be coming to church anymore because he'd rather stay home and watch football. And I'd say, really? Or my 15-year-old's playing hockey now. Or my 16-year-old just can't make it because there's other things they'd rather do. They were up too late, you know, last night, so they're not going to be coming to church anymore. It's just too hard for them to get up. You know what I'd often say? Do you make your kids go to math? (laughs) Oh, yeah, they got to go to math. Why? So they can get a job. So they got to go to math. Yeah, they need a good education. You know what they need more than math and more than an education? They need Jesus. They need the Lord. And guess what? Be the parents. Your 16-year-old should not be telling you what to do. Amen? Amen. And you know what? When you let them make hockey more important than God, or staying out on Saturday night more important than God, or anything else more important than God, you've missed it as a parent. Now, it's interesting that this this word for children, technon, speaks not of small children, but any child that lives under their parents' roof. So this means 19, 23, or 32, if you're still living at home, you honor the rules of your parents in your house. And that means as a parent, you need to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we're going to church, get in the car. Amen? Amen? Now, they may resist you, they may not always like it, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and it's the Word of God that's going to transform their life, and there's nothing I want more, and I'm sure it's true of you parents, than to see my kids in heaven with me. Nothing I want more. I want to see all of you saved, but you know what, I'm a little biased. I want to see my kids saved more. I'm just like that. I'm a dad. What can I tell you? And you know what, that ought to be the passion of every single parent. As long as you live with your parents, these words apply to you. There's a pastor I know, a pastor I know very well, who had a son who turned 18. And the following Sunday, he went up into his room, and his 18-year-old son, it wasn't me, okay, his 18-year-old son said, I'm an adult now, I don't have to go to church, so I'm not going. 
I'm 18. And this pastor said to his son, okay. And went over and picked up his son's phone and called the worship leader. And the assistant pastor said, go ahead and get church started. I'm going to be a little late. And he hung up the phone and started packing all of his son's stuff. Got his suitcase out, got boxes out. His son was laying in bed, looked up and said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, you're right, you're an adult, and you don't have to go to church, but you don't have to live here either. And started packing up his stuff. And you know what? And then he turned and basically said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and the people that live here are in fellowship every Sunday and Wednesday, so you're going. And you know what? He jumped out of bed and got in the shower. He realized that he was an adult, that he still needed to respond to his parents. Amen? And so this is being addressed to children, and not just young children, but any children living in your home, these rules that follow apply. Well, my kids are 19, they make their own decisions now. Well, that may be true, but if they're living in their house, you're still responsible for them, and we should still be leading them to walk in obedience to Almighty God. You know, I've heard this said many times. If you make your kids do stuff, they're going to rebel. You know what? If they don't have anything that, for them to do, they can't rebel because there are no rules to rebel against. Amen? The Bible says, raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he was old, he will not depart from it. And the easiest thing to do with your kids is to do nothing and to check out and let them make their own decisions. When they're three years old, you don't let them touch the hot stove. And when they're 17, there's still some other rules they ought to have. Amen? And don't be afraid to be the parents, because if you love your kids, you will discipline them. Look at the next words. Children, obey your parents. Youth group, obey your parents. Amen? Now, the word for obey here speaks of a soldier about to engage in a battle who's listening carefully for orders, understanding that the instructions could be a matter of life and death. He's listening intently. This isn't the yeah, 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 yeah obedience. Amen? It's all right, whatever. Okay, you're bigger than me, so I'll do it. It's not that kind of obedience. It's the obedience of listening intently and realizing that my life could hang in the balance. And you know what? My commanding officer knows better than I do, and so I am going to obey. And this is what he's talking about here. It calls for one to obey as if his life depended on it. Now, I want to say this to parents. This does not only mean that children need to obey, but that we as parents have the responsibility to teach them obedience. Our kids are born disobedient. Now, some of you with little babies in the back might not think so yet. Give them time. Amen? Not my child. They're perfect, right? Well, and they're sweet, and they're wonderful, and they're gifts from God, but they have the Adamic nature. Amen? You don't have to teach your kids to be selfish. They'll figure that out all by themselves mine they figure that out they take stuff from others that's just the way the kids are so they know how to be disobedient but they must be trained to be obedient and that only happens when we as parents take the responsibility god has given us it's one of the most important jobs in the world as a parent is teaching our children to obey because they are born selfish and self-centered and obedience must be taught It is essential that a parent teach his child obedience so that when he grows up, he'll know how to obey God. This is what a parent's, again, all the parent's discipline for a child must come, disobedient, for that to happen, for a kid to be obedient, disobedience must be punished. 
Now again, that's another taboo today. You can't punish your children. Yeah, don't punish your children and see what you get. You get a disobedient... You know, it's interesting. Bill and I were on the plane flying back from India. And there was a child, I don't know, four years old, five years old, just climbing over the seats and kicking his parents in the head and screaming at the top of his lungs and just out of control. I mean, for, and this is a 17-hour flight. So this gets to be an issue after a while, right? And the guy next to me said... That kid needs Ritalin. And I said, no, that kid needs a SWAT. That kid needs someone to be a parent. Amen? Amen. And you know what? God's given him a nice soft spot round right back here. That, you know what? The, the, you know, the tool of discipline to the seed of learning is just fine. Amen? Amen? They won't die. They'll be okay. They'll recover. And the point is that if we don't discipline our children... If we don't discipline disobedience, there's no other way to teach obedience. You don't teach kids obedience by letting them do whatever they want. Because they're going to make bad choices. That's why God gives them parents. Undisciplined disobedience will produce a rebellious child. And you know what? Rebellious children become rebellious adults. We need to teach them discipline now. Now, we're going to talk about the way we do it in a minute. And it must always be done in love. Always in love, never in anger, as we'll talk about. But it's interesting in Deuteronomy, it says this, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father and mother, or who, when they have chastened him, will not heed, then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Can you imagine how many stonings there would be today? Can you imagine? Every rebellious kid, were st- There'd be no, we, we would die out as a race. None of us would have made it. Amen? Now, why does he have such heavy words for rebellion in children? For the simple fact that God knew that a rebellious and disobedient child would grow into a, a rebellious and disobedient adult and would have a, it would have a devastating effect upon the family and upon society. It was once said, when the bonds of a family break up, when the respect for parents fail, then the community will become decadent and will not live long. And I believe we're living in those kinds of days. Amen. You know, in the, just the last two generations, you know, one of the biggest issues in the 50s that kids got in trouble for was chewing gum. Now it's for bringing semi-automatic weapons to school. <laughs> Things have changed, amen? And why have they changed? It's been a lack of discipline in the home. And again, while it comes, I'm coming across pretty strong because the Word of God does, I want to make sure you understand it must always be done in love. Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. And parents who love their children will discipline them as well. If you want to raise godly children, you must teach them to obey, even if they get mad and don't like you for a while. That's going to happen. Your kids ever get mad at you? If your kids don't get mad at you, you're not disciplining them. Amen? You know, I was dry, when I drive, drove my daughter and, both my, and my son to their first day of high school, or some around that time, I told both of them the same thing. I love you enough to have you be mad at me for the next four years if that's what it takes. Because being a parent is not a popularity contest. 
you know what? I want more than anything else to have my children love God and serving Him when they leave my house. And sometimes that means that I'm not going to be popular with my kids. Sometimes the decisions I'm going to make, they're not going to like. But you know what? Again, if we do it in love, we do it prayerfully, and we seek above all else the well-being of our children. And again, I want to say this. I'm like, you know what? I'm very good friends with my kids. We do a lot of stuff together. But you know what? I'm their dad. they got plenty of friends. I'm their dad. And that's what I'm called to be, is their dad. I'm their friend, but I'm their dad first and foremost. And it says there, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, this has a twofold meaning. Obey not only for the sake of your parents, but also for the sake of the Lord. So children, when you obey your parents, you're obeying the Lord. And when you disobey your parents, you're disobeying the Lord. When you, dis- when you blow off and say, Mom and Dad don't know what they're talking about, and you disobey your parents, you're disobeying God. And nothing's short of it. And so it's so important that we even tell our children that. When you disobey your parents, you're disobeying Almighty God. Obey obedience not only for the sake of your parents, but for the sake of the Lord. Because when we obey, God is glorified and God is blessed. Colossians 3.20 puts it this way. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, in the Lord also limits their complete obedience to that which is in agreement with God's Word. You know, I've had kids in my youth group in San Jose and in Southern California tell me that their parents wanted them to smoke pot with them. Come sit down, son. And, or a dad wanted to take his 16-year-old son to a strip club or, or what, you know, drink alcohol, whatever it might be. And if your parents try to get you to do something contrary to the Word of God, well, there is a case where you can say, I'm not going to do that. If your parents want you to do something ungodly outside of God's will, then you can, at that point, say, I must obey God rather than man. Now, I want to say this. You may be released from the bond of obedience in that case, but you better have chapter and verse to back it up. Amen? Go to your mom and dad. Well, I think I ought to be doing it, and God told me so. I'm going. Where's the verse? Amen? Where's the chapter? Show me some backup from the Word of God. Note again. If you use these words not to obey, you must be able to back it up with Scripture. For this is right, it says. Look what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is holy. This is just. This is good. And in the long run, it will prove to be fruitful. You know what's amazing? I look back at times when my dad made stands with me, especially, when I was, especially you know, when you get to be a teenage boy, 16, 17, 18, 19... You know, you're starting to want to cut your own path. And certainly you're going to need to at some point. But if you're living in your dad's house, you need to honor your dad. And what's interesting, there are a couple times my dad, you know, put down some pretty hard things on me. And I didn't understand and I, I, I thought he was out of his mind. And then I look back six months later or a year later and say, man, praise God for my dad. Praise God that my dad was willing to stand up for what was true, what was holy, and what was right. Now look what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the fifth commandment. The first four commandments speak about man's relationship with God. Shall know their gods before me, no graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then the last six commandments speak of man's relationship with man. And the first one listed is honor your mother 
and Father. Now the word here for honor means to treat as precious. Treat your mom and dad as being precious. Honor your mother and father. So verse 1 speaks of the action, obedience, and verse 2 speaks of the attitude, with honor. Again, we've all seen children, or maybe you've done it yourself, where the parent asks the child to do something, and they stomp off to their room with a red face to go do it. That's not honoring mom and dad, amen? Okay, I'll go clean my room, you know, right? I remember this story of a little girl. A guy was talking to his daughter, and she needed to sit down and put her seatbelt on. They were driving. And he said, sweetheart, you have to put... No, I want to stand up. I can see better when I said, sweetheart, you've got to sit down and put your seatbelt on. You're going to get hurt. And this went on. He pulled off to the side of the road. And finally, after, you know, threatening her with a swat, she sat down and put her seatbelt on. They started to drive off. And he said, now, don't you feel better sitting down and obeying daddy? And she looked at him and said, I'm standing up on the inside. And you know what? That's not honoring mom and dad. Amen? It's not just doing it outwardly, but it's having the inward heart to obey your parents. It's honoring, treating them as precious. It's our motive behind the action. True obedience includes not only outward actions, but inward reverence. Again, not standing up on the inside. God sees more than our heart, more than our actions. He sees our heart. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And God knows if we're obeying begrudgingly or if we're obeying, again, with a heart of love, treating our parents as precious. Again, it's not the ten suggestions. It's the ten commandments. Amen? Amen. And the fifth commandment is honor your mother and father. And look what it says here. Which is the first commandment with promise. While the consequence for disobedience to your parents is heavy, so too are the blessings of obedience great. When you obey your parents, God promises you right here in His Word to bless you. Even if you don't understand fully, obey your parents. Honor them. Do it in respect. Even if you're 19 or 20 or 22 and you're living at home, respect and honor your parents. You will never regret it. You know what? I never honored my parents or respected them or obeyed them and looked back later and was bummed that I did it. But I'll tell you what, there were many times as a teenager where I disobeyed my parents or dishonored my parents and looked back and absolutely regretted it. You know, most of us are experiential learners. We learn by experience. And as parents, one of the things we're trying to do for you guys is keep you from having to experience everything we did. Amen? I just assume, and you know, it doesn't have to be my experience for me to learn it. And maybe you don't have kids yet, or maybe your kids are young. Begin even now to instill in them the heart of obedience and the right attitude behind it. You know, one of the reasons I think that teachers are so disrespected today, kids who are disrespectful to their teachers, I promise you, are disrespectful to their parents. It's just something that carries out and goes on to the rest of their life. And it's so important as godly parents that we raise our kids not only to obey the Lord, but to honor their mother and father. Look at verse 3. Here's the promise. That it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. He quotes Isaiah 5, or Deuteronomy 5.16. This is a promise for the children of Israel 
when they went into Canaan that if they would obey their parents and honor their mother and father, they would live long in the land. And as children obey their parents in the Lord, they escape a great deal of sin and its consequences. Guys, sin is pleasurable for a season or we wouldn't do it. Amen? And sin is tempting and enticing, and the devil's never going to entice you with something that's no fun. He's always going to entice you with something that looks good. But the problem is that sin has consequences every single time. And when we choose to feed our flesh over obeying God, there will always be consequences. Instead, those who obey are blessed, and God's riches are poured out upon them, those who walk in obedience to the Lord. Sin will always rob us, and obedience will always enrich us. You've heard me say this many times. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. May we learn, may we learn to see that the rules our parents give us at 17 is no different than them trying to keep us off the freeway when we're five. It's the same struggle. When we look at the Word of God and see what God says about dating somebody who isn't saved, when we see what the Word of God says about drunkenness, when we see what the Word of God says about laziness, or whatever else it might be, that we might learn to understand that God tells us these things because He's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to protect us. Not because He's a no-fun bummer God trying to keep you from having a good time. Amen? People portray God with a lightning bolt up in heaven waiting for you to make a mistake. That's not our God. He's a God who loves you, knows what's best for you, and He gives you these directions that you might not have to deal with the consequences and the heartache of sin. There's never any regret for walking in obedience. Children, obey and honor your parents. Okay, parents, your turn. Verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. The word provoke there means to, to, ex, to wrath, to exasperate, to bring them to a point of anger. Galatians, Galatians 3, or excuse me, 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger lest they be discouraged. Just as husbands, as spiritual leaders in the home, are not to abuse their position with their wife, so too parents with their position of authority in their home, are not to abuse their authority over their children. Now, this doesn't mean we don't discipline them. It just means that we must always discipline them in love. You know what? Our kids are going to get angry when they're disciplined. And they're going to be angered by sin's consequences and the loving discipline that follows often. They'll be provoked and angered and discouraged by their father's poor behavior, though. That's another thing. Hey, if my children are upset because we're standing on the Word of God and they don't like it, that's one thing. If it's because their dad is being an overbearing jerk, that's another thing. Amen? Amen? Again, Word of God, we stand by it, but may we never provoke our children to wrath. Some ways you can provoke your children to wrath. I've got four of them. One, by disciplining them in anger. I bet... Maybe I'm, uh, I'm wrong, but I would venture to guess that every parent in here has done that at least once. Amen? Amen? Where you fly off the handle and you just snap. And you, you know, where's the board? Right? That kind of thing. Get in here! You know what? That will provoke our children to wrath. Amen? Does God deal with us that way? Aren't you glad? Yeah. 
Aren't you glad the Lord's not looking for the board or the belt and screaming when he's running towards you? Aren't you glad? You know what? We're not to provoke our children to wrath because we're not to discipline them in anger. Responding to their disobedience by yelling, screaming, flying off the handle. I've even seen this. Calling your children names. May it never be so. Amen? Don't, I've, I've heard, idiot, jerk, punk, don't do that. That should not, that provokes your children to wrath. Amen? It will provoke them to rebellion. We should never discipline our children that way. Swatting them in anger. You know what I, and again, I'll just give you the method I use. doesn't mean it's the right one. When my kids were little, I always gave them their swats in the laundry room. They didn't like the laundry room much. But I'd make them, I'd go get the spoon and go wait for me in the laundry room. Now this does a couple of things. One, they have to think about what they did. And that's like the long walk to the laundry room, right? When I was a kid, my grandmother used to make us go get switches. That's worse. You got to go pick your own implement for discipline. And if you brought back a little tiny switch, she'd go out and get the tree and swat you with it. So you had to go get a switch, and then you had to take all the leaves off the switch. And all, the whole time you're like, oh, what was I? I never should have done that. Now, a couple things happen, though. It makes the child think about what they've done, but you know what else it does? It makes the parent not respond hastily or in anger when they discipline their kids. They don't grab something. It's, okay, go to the laundry room. I'll be in there in a minute. And then coming in and explaining to them why they're getting disciplined. And then doing it in love. And making sure that every swat is followed with a hug. Right. They don't always want one. They swat me, now you want to hug me. I don't think so, right? <laughs> but you know what? I think it's so important that, you know, when we swat them, then we hug them and say, you know I love you. And they may not want to hear it, but they need to hear it. Amen? They need to be reminded that their parents do love them, and those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. So disciplining is necessary. It drives disobedience far from our children, the Bible says, but it must be done in love, and it should be followed up with encouragement. Here's another way. You can, you can exasperate your children, or you can provoke them to anger, by being inconsistent or playing favorites in your house. Kids are real good at keeping track of what the discipline was for what their brother did if they get more when it's their turn. Wait a minute. How come when... Right? And it's so important that we discipline our children the same, equally. Amen? We don't play favorites. We don't let it go this time. And we need to be consistent. And it takes diligence on the part of a parent to do that. You know, kids are are risk-takers by nature. If eight out of ten times they get a swat for it and two times they get away with it, they're going to go for it. We need to be consistent, amen? And equal disobedience receives an equal action every single time. Now, I will say this. At different ages, certainly, they have more freedom. My 17-year-old daughter has more freedom than my 12-year-old son. And, again, the way it ought to work, and the way it works in our house, with responsibility comes privileges, with irresponsibility comes the loss of privileges. You decide where this is, and I'll put this right next to it. Amen? Amen. And you be obedient, and you're, you guys are doing good, and doing your schoolwork, and honoring the Lord. You're going to have a lot more freedom than if you're rebellious, and angry, and bitter, and disobeying your parents, right? And so, again, 
Be consistent. You also can provoke them to wrath through neglect or broken promises. Moms and dads, be a man or a woman of your word. If you tell your kids you're going to do something, do it. Do it. Don't tell your kids you're going to do something and then go back on it. I, I, I sadly regret, I know that I'm surely, I, I can't think of any right now, but I'm sure it's happened. I've broken promises to my kids. But I'll tell you what, I do everything in my power not to ever let that happen. Even to your own harm. If you promise to do something with your kids and you're tired, get over it and go do it anyway. Right. Amen? Amen? Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. That's what they want. They want you to spend time with them. And as parents, it should be our greatest joy to spend time with them. Make spending time with them a priority. And then lastly, the way you can provoke your children to wrath is by being too demanding. Setting impossible goals. You must get straight A's. Always. 4.2? Are you slacking off? What's wrong with you? You got an 89 on that test? Go to your room for a month. You know what I mean? We can provoke our children to wrath by being too demanding and setting you know, goals and objectives that are just way too high. May we not be drill instructors, but loving parents. Amen? And sometimes as parents, we need to give some, some forceful direction. But may again, it always be done in love. Set goals for your kids. Require obedience, but do it in love. And look what it says, the last of that verse. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The word there for training means to nurture it means to cultivate the morals and physical discipline. It means, again, to, that fathers are called to lead their kids in their homes. It's not enough, dads, to provide for your children's physical needs. That's, not be, that's just part of being a dad. Don't make the excuse that I can't spend time with my kids because I'm too busy working three jobs. And, and now if you have to do that to pay your rent, well, you and God can deal with that. But here's the thing. Don't be so busy at your job that you have no time for your kids because your kids are going to outlast your job. Amen? Amen. Your kids are eternal. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. I've been with many people on their deathbed and nobody's ever regretted not having worked more. I wish I'd worked more. I wish I'd gotten that... Any, any last words? I wish I'd gotten that promotion. That never happens. But I often hear, I wish I'd spent more time with my family and I wish I had done more for the kingdom of God. Those are often things that I hear. As a parent, you must minister not only to the physical but the spiritual needs of your kids. Training them in the ways of God. Instructing them in the Word. Don't leave their instruction in the Word to their youth pastor or the children's ministry. That should be icing on the cake from what they're getting at home. God has called the husband and the father to be the spiritual leader encouraging them in their daily walk disciplining them in love by being christ-like this is the role of a, of a father by being christ-like in the way you love them in the way you provide for them and even in the way you discipline them when the lord disciplines me i know he loves me how about you and when we discipline our kids they should know that we're doing it because we love them. So point number one of God's divine order at home and at work, children and their parents. Children, obey and honor your parents. Parents, discipline and instruct your children, but do it in love. Now lastly, we're going to look at employees and employers. And guys, 
while we need to bring Jesus home, we need to bring the Lord into our home, we also need to bring Him to work. Amen? We shouldn't just have a relationship with God on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Not only should we bring Him into our house, this is my sanctuary where I bring the Lord with me, and certainly we should do that, but we need to take Him to our workplace. And I've had people tell me that my faith and my work, I leave my faith at the door. Have you heard this before? I leave my faith at the door. What kind of faith do you have? I'm glad the Lord doesn't leave me when I cross the door. Amen? Amen. So how can in the world can I leave my faith at the door and my relationship with God at the door when I go to work? I'll tell you, God's called us to be salt and light. Look what it says in verse 5. Bond servants... Be obedient to those who are your masters. Now, understand in those days, when Paul wrote this, there were over 6 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And Paul's calling these slaves, who many of which were being treated treated brutally, not to run away, but to honor their masters. Man, that's that's a tough call, isn't it? Okay, you're a slave, honor your master. Now, for you and I today, praise God, we don't have slavery in this country some of you might think your boss is a taskmaster but you know what this applies to us at work bond servant is a slave by choice and and we have chosen to take the job that we have we were offered the job we accepted it and now we should do that job as unto the lord and part of doing that job as unto the lord is honoring our boss or in this case the word here is master The word obedient, be obedient, is continuous, uninterrupted submission to your earthly master, or in this case, your employer. The only exception is that they command you to do something contrary to the word of God. Anything below that, you have two choices. Do your job as unto the Lord or go get another job. Amen? Amen. Do your job as unto the Lord or go to get another job. Don't do it, and it says here, your masters according to the flesh. So your earthly masters. Some will say, well, the Lord's my boss, so I don't have to listen to this guy. No, your earthly master was put into your life by your heavenly master. Amen? And as someone who's been placed there by God, as Romans 13 says, we should honor our boss. It says there, with fear and trembling. Not fright, but with respect for authority. That God has placed these people over you, whether you like it or not. You and I, to our earthly bosses, we need to, no matter how difficult they are, they're nowhere near as difficult as the slaves in Paul's day, and God has called us to honor them. And look what he says. In sincerity of heart as to Christ. In sincerity of heart, this goes back to that heart issue again. It's not obeying your boss and standing up on the inside. Amen? It's not saying, all right, you're the boss, I'll do it. Right? That is not a Christ-like attitude and that is certainly not going to bring glory to our lord so just how are you to work for your employer it says there as to christ work as if you were working for jesus because you are amen you're working for the lord he ultimately is your boss whatever you do do unto christ Do your job in such a way that you're a witness. Go the extra mile. Do more than what is required of you. I believe Christians ought to be the best workers in the building. Have the best attitude. Be the most disciplined. Be the hardest workers. Be the most reliable. And do all of it without any complaining. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Amen? Amen? 
you know what blesses me? I, on a side note, there are many people, many Christians worked at my old company, and I'm blessed that Vince, our youth pastor, just got hired there. And when he was interviewed, they found out he was a Christian because he told them. And what was great is, oh, are you part of that organization? Well, you guys have done a great job here. Now that blesses me. That blesses me that even after we've left, even after people have come and gone, that there's a, we've left behind a godly testimony. You know what, guys? When you leave your place of employment, you ought to leave behind a godly testimony. When they hear of your name, they ought to think, your boss ought to think, I want a hundred more people just like them. Because what happens? God is glorified. The Bible says, let them see your good works that they may glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? When they see the way you work and the way that you approach your job, God will be glorified. Serve your boss as if you would serve Jesus. It's not an easy thing, especially when your boss isn't a Christian or isn't very nice. And again, just as wives and husbands, we aren't excused from obeying this just because your boss isn't a nice person. Well, I'd obey him if he was perfect. Guess what? He's not going to be. And God's called us to walk in obedience anyway. Look at verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers. This means don't just serve real good at work when someone's watching. I was amazed. I used to work in a lumber yard. And we, you know, we had to work in lumberyard. And when the boss would come around, man, a lot of stuff got done. There were even guys who would be looking out for the boss. He's coming! Everybody grab a broom, you know, find something to do. My dad was, uh, while he was pastoring, was president of an electronics company in San Jose. And for, in the summers, I would work in the shipping department. And these guys would be jaw-jacking and messing around. And the word would come that my dad was coming through the back. And man, they, these guys, you would think the place was on fire. They would start working. Well, this verse says, don't work at, with eye service as men pleasers, because guess who's always watching? God. The Lord's always watching. And we should work in a way that honors God at all times, not just when the boss comes around. There's a reason there's a foreman on a construction site, because if he wasn't there, there'd probably be a lot more beer drank and a lot less hammering done, Right? And the truth is the same in every aspect of work, but as Christians it should not be so. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants, verse 6, of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Work to please the Lord who is always watching from the heart, from the soul, a cheerful and hearty obedience to their master. You get to go to work. You don't have to go to work. You get to. Thank you, Lord, for my job. Praise God that you've given this to me. Praise God this is how you're providing for my family. And Lord, I'm going to honor you here. And Lord, I'm going to pray for my coworkers. And Lord, I'm going to pray for the people I come into contact with. And God, whatever I do, I'm going to do in a way that will bring honor and glory to your name. You're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. Look at verse 7. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. The source of our joy and our chillful heart is who we're working for. We're working for the Lord, not for men. You're mopping the floor for Jesus. You're flipping burgers for Jesus. You're selling advertising for Jesus. You're the vice president of operations for Jesus. You're waiting on customers for Jesus. And your heart and your motive for all you do in your work should be as unto the Lord. And you know what, guys? You give your boss a full day's work for a full day's pay. It's stealing to show up late or to go home early 
or to take a long lunch and slack off. Christians, it should not be so. Amen? Amen. That was kind of weak. Amen? Amen. Just do our work as unto the Lord, honoring God. We're almost done. Verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Here's the good news. You feel like you're underpaid, God will reward you. You feel like you're not being treated fairly, God will take care of it. How much money did slaves make? None. He says here, whether slave or free, do your job as unto the Lord and know ultimately that your reward will come from the Lord. The Lord will reward the slaves in the end. And the Lord will reward those who are faithful in the end. Now this brings up a more practical point. The Lord promises to provide for your family. Is God faithful? Okay. So, if your family is struggling in the area of provision, it's not God's fault. Amen? Okay. Now I know... Some people are going to be mad at me, but that's okay. I love you, all right? Discipline, hug, all right? It says in Genesis, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So which is it if there's no provision? God's not providing or we're not toiling in the ground. Guys, God has called us to provide for our families. And the Bible says, A man who does not work shall not eat. The Bible says that laziness is a sin. The Bible tells us that a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. The lazy man will say, there's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the street. He'll give every excuse in the world not to go to work. You know what? God has called us to be diligent. He provides, but guess what? He's given us hands to work with, a mind to use. Amen? Feet to work with. And God has called us to be diligent. Laziness is a sin, and for many Christian men today, it's time to stop making excuses and start being more diligent. I just lost about 10 people from the church, I think. But you know what? I love you guys. I love you guys. But this is the Word of God, amen? amen? This is not Pastor Dave getting after anybody, but guys, God has called us to be the providers in our homes. You know what? It'll, and it's a great example for your kids, Amen? And God alone should be glorified. Single guys, take note. A godly man will be a diligent man who works as unto the Lord. And godly women will notice. Amen? They'll notice. Last verse. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Maybe you're here and you're the employer instead of the employee. You're the boss at work. Well, it's a two-way street. Not only should the employees honor the employer, but the employer should honor the employees. Treat them with kindness and respect and sincerity of heart. Honor them. Do the same things to them. Same hard and honest work the employee does for the employer. It says there, give up threatening. You know what? As an employer, you should not treat your employees with harshness. It's okay to give them direction. Do it in love. Amen? Give them direction, they need it. Do it in love. Your own master also is in heaven. Those of you who are in charge, guess who's really in charge? God is, not you. Amen? And we all have a boss we're going to answer to one day, and we should treat our employees in a way that will honor our heavenly boss, that he might be glorified. 
Do it as unto the Lord. There is no partiality with God. He's not impressed with your title. He's really not. But Lord, I'm the executive vice president in charge of everything. He's going to say, you're a sinner saved by grace. Sit down. Right? Amen? God's not impressed with our title. God's not impressed with our, you know, you know any gift we have, who gave it to us? So who should be glorified for it? The Lord and not us. Amen? Judgment and reward are based on faithfulness in our calling, not our rank before men. I believe that if you're faithful mopping the floor, your reward's going to be much greater than the president of the world who's not faithful. Amen? God's not looking for ability, but availability and faithfulness in whatever you're doing. So in closing, God's divine order at home and at work. Children and their parents. Children, obey and honor your parents. Don't just obey, but do it with a a heart of love, a heart of sincerity. Don't be standing up on the inside. Parents, love, discipline, and train up your children. Discipline them. That's what godly parents are called to do. But always do it in love. Employers and employees. Employees, work diligently and sincerely as unto the Lord. Do your job in a way that God will be glorified. And employers, treat your workers with kindness and fairness as unto the Lord. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. And Lord, I pray that we would not walk away in any way discouraged, but encouraged, Lord. Exhorted, Father God, to be the godly parents You want us to be. To be the godly children, teenagers You've called us to be. Lord, help us, Father, to, to raise up godly children. Help us, Lord, to honor our mothers and fathers. Lord, I pray that we would bring the Lord out of the church and into our homes and impact every aspect of our lives. Lord, may we also bring you not only home, but bring you to work with us as well. May we do our job in a way that will honor you, that will glorify you, the Lord that will cause others to praise your name. Father, I pray also, Lord, for those here who might be bosses or employers. Help us, Lord, to minister to those who work for us, to be a Christ-like example in the way that we treat them as well. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. Help us, Lord, to have you rule and reign in every aspect of our lives, to walk with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.